title of today's message is Prioritize Your Life, Give Freely. Uh, we are going to spend some time uh, the rest of the war for the next few weeks talking about how we prioritize our giving, our time, our energy, our resources, and various sundry of things. And so I want to take just a moment. I'm sure everybody has their own definition of what a priority is. Well, let me tell you what the dictionary says. It's a superiority in rank, position, or privilege, preferential rating or treatment or something giving or meriting attention before before competing alternatives. A priority is a value. It's a goal. It's a relationship. It's something that is important to you in your life. In fact, it's something by which so many of us live day to day and moment to moment. A priority consists of interaction among values, beliefs, ideas, and commitment. It's what gives you focus in your life. Now, I'm going to ask real quick, what's the number one priority for you in your life? sitting here in a church, and so people are going to say, God. That's a great answer. But how often during the week do we take that number one priority and make it number two because we get busy in doing something? And so we have the ability, God gives us free will, and we have the ability to reprioritize things moment by moment. And sometimes that's not a good thing because we put God so far down the line some with some of the things that we are doing, that we make mistakes and we make bad decisions. So giving of oneself, whether time, energy, or resources, you know, there's no real average as we try to average them out, and nor does an average really make any difference. A true servant of Jesus Christ is not measured by time spent in religious activity. It's measured in how you have changed your life, that it's visible to others that you are following Jesus Christ. So I want to spend just a, just a moment here, and, and hopefully we'll have some fun with this. Um, there's 168 hours in a week, and I know everybody knew that. You spend all day long going, how many hours in a week? You know, it's 168 hours in a week. And on the average, and this is all subjective, I, I looked at different uh, surveys and, uh, that had been done, and this varies from person to person. But there's 160 hours in each week. That's an absolute. If we do, as the doctors tell us, and we sleep eight hours a day, then we spend 56 hours of that 168 sleeping. And then those of us work, and I'll use work as a relative term here, if you work 40 hours a week, then you've lost 40 more hours. And then we eat. Well, this was one of the funny things. One survey said we eat an average, an average of one hour a day. And I'm thinking, really? And then some said, no, we eat an average of three hours a day. Well, regardless of that, I'm just going to say that we average eight hours a week eating, and that's very conservative. So now we're down to just 64 hours of the week that we really, really feel like that we can pick and choose as to what we do. So I want to give you some stats. Some surveys say that we spend 10 of those 64 hours reading or watching TV shows. One survey says the average person spends two hours a week working out. And I know some of you are going, I'll save those two hours. 
So if you spend 10, uh, 10 hours a week watching TV or reading and two hours a week working out, you've lost 12 more hours. And then for those that can't work from home, you have to drive. How much time do you spend driving to and from work? And one survey said, well, it's an hour a day, and that counts both ways. So they're giving you 30 minutes to get to work. And I'm thinking these people weren't in the city of Houston that were doing this survey. So let's just say, just for fun, that you spend seven hours a week driving. So there's 50 or 45 hours that's left over then. And I want to tell you some of the things that I read after that were a little bit disheartening. One survey said that 38 hours a week, 5.4 hours a day, people spend on their phones, on social media, surfing the internet, looking at TikTok, texting each other. Then there's another one that said of the millenniums, they spend 84 hours a week, 12 hours a day on their phone doing something. Baby boomers are a little bit better. They said they only spend five hours a day or 30 hours, 35 hours a week. So if you take those and mix them up however you want to, you say you don't have a whole lot of time left, and oh, you know what? We haven't even talked about shopping or the times you go someplace and have forgotten something and have to turn around and go back and get it, and just times you just stand there staring out into space. So your day is pretty full. Your week is pretty full. And I realize some people don't watch TV that much. They don't work out that much. They don't sleep that much. And they don't work that much. But then again, there are those that spend a lot more time. There are those that are workaholics. There are those that can't sleep. So there's a lot of flexibility in our time. But the final thing I want to touch on is when asked about how much time you spent studying or reading the Bible, the responses were kind of like blah, 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 blah. It depends. It depends. Some say an hour a day or a few minutes. Whenever I get a break, I'll pick the Bible up and, and read just a few verses. And then when I have to go back to work, I'll put it back down. Others say I get up each morning and I read the Bible unless I have overslept. And then I don't do it. Or I do it as I, just before I go to bed, unless I'm really, really tired. So you see, it came into excuses. And then some people said, well, I spend an hour or an hour and a half in church once a week, so that counts. You see, God understands the sleeping part, the working part, the eating part. But what he doesn't understand is how we prioritize the rest of our lives, the rest of our day. So how important is God in your life? And so if we go back just to some of the very basics, what does God say about himself in the Bible? We know he's a jealous God. He's a sovereign God. How did God introduce himself to you? How did you first experience God? Not how you first heard about God, but how did you first experience God? Well, let's look at just a couple of ways in the Bible we see that he had introduced himself. He introduced himself to Moses by saying, I am who I am. 
And then in the back of the Bible in Revelation, we hear him say, I am the Alpha, the Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The first and the last, I am the living one, and then these words should ring very, very fearful with each and every one of us. He says, I hold the keys of death and hell. That person should be very important in our life. We should honor and fear the one who is the beginning and the end of all existence. So doesn't it sound like that would make God pretty important each and every day? So what does God say about prioritizing him into our lives? And I'm just going to take some of the simple verses here. In Deuteronomy 6.5, we read, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then Jesus reiterates it again in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, and he said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. So our lives need to be in line with God's will, not trying to get God's will lined up into our lives. Every breath we take, every step we take, should be with and for him. Matthew 6, says, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. You see, remember that regardless of the difficulty and the circumstances, God has a purpose and plan that far exceeds anything that is going on on this earth in your life right now. Why wouldn't he be your first priority? David records his, some of the most intimate thoughts that he has with God as he acknowledged that God is in control of all things. I mean, after all, he's a man after God's own heart. And yet he endured ordinary struggles, trials, tribulations, wars, and much more. But David hung on to one thing, his relationship with God. Maybe God is not always your first priority because your relationship with him is not as deep as it needs to be, or maybe you don't have a relationship with him. Your relationship with God is what allows you to be the beneficiary of his grace. Even when you don't deserve it, he keeps you joyful in the midst of sorrow and gives you peace in the confusion that runs around us all the time. There is nothing more precious than having an intimate relationship with God Almighty. So often, though, we confuse our lack of a relationship or the depth of our relationship because of our circumstances, or we find people that we can blame that we have fallen away from God. You see, the evil forces on this earth are not really trying to take away your health or your wealth. No, they're trying to destroy the relationship you have and the walk you have with Jesus Christ. Our lives are not guided simply by the actions in this earthly realm. But we are pressing forward that when the day comes, we will trans transition into the kingdom of glory. There's nothing on this earth worth losing your seat in heaven for. You see, God claims your life. He doesn't claim part of your life. He claims all your life. He lays claim to your time, to your resources, and to your energy. 
to your entire life. Often God becomes a priority for us very quickly because of the urgency of circumstances that we might be involved in. If you've seen the movie The End, which I just absolutely think is a hilarious movie, but it's a sad movie at the same time. Burt Reynolds begins the movie by wanting to kill himself because his life is in a quagmire. And so he has a whole uh, coffee table full of pills and he just gets a handful of them and he puts them in his mouth and grab, grabs a little uh, glass of milk and he goes to drink it and then he spits everything out and he says, oh my gosh, that milk's sour. He spends the rest of the movie trying to hire somebody to kill him or trying to commit suicide and he's unsuccessful each time and he has a daughter that cares a great deal about him and there's ups and downs of the movies like a roller coaster and at the end of the movie he has given up again and he's at a beach and he's swimming out into the ocean he figures if I swim far enough and long enough I'll get tired and I'll just drown and he gets out he's getting pretty tired and he hears his daughter speak to him again about how much she cares about him and how important he is and he turns around and begins to swim to the shore. And he says, God, if you'll just get me back to the shore, I will give you everything I have. And as he gets a little closer to the shore, he says, God, if you'll just get me to the beach, I'll give you half of everything I have. And when he gets to the shallow end, he's beginning to crawl and to the beach. He says, God... Next time I go to church, I'm going to give you whatever's in my pocket. And about that time, he stands up, and here comes the guy that he's paid in the beginning of the movie to kill him, chasing him down the beach. And as he's running away from this guy, he goes, God, if you get this guy away from me, I'll give you everything that I have. The sadness of that is that's the way we live our lives sometimes. When it's going good, we forget about it the guy that has blessed us, the one that has blessed us. And when it's going bad, we want to turn to him very, very quickly. You see, that says a whole lot about your relationship with God, about your experience with God, and about your attitude toward God. So, how important are you to God? Are you a priority to him? Look at David. David had the heart of a shepherd. Look at Joseph, mistreated, thrown in a pit, prison, and left for dead by his brothers. And he said what man meant for evil, God means for good. Look at Moses, who learned the importance of flexibility and the importance of change. Our hearts must become compassionate before we can change. Jesus had a heart for people who hurt and demonstrated the connection between giving and forgiving. Noah had an obedient heart to do the impossible because God wanted him to. And Stephen, Stephen had the heart to do the right thing, even unto death. Obedience to God always precedes a blessing. The only way that we can be obedient is to put God first. No excuses. Jesus obedient to the cross, we receive the blessing. Jesus did also. Look what Luke says in, in chapter 22, beginning in verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours, your will be done. 
an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So he was obedient. And then in Philippians 2, 9, here's the blessing. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, Jesus was announced by John the Baptist, and the, those that were there asked John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you a false prophet? They were trying to figure out who he was, and he explained to them, no, he was the one that came to speak of Jesus. And then Jesus was baptized, and his obedience to God led him where? To the wilderness. Matthew 4, 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. You know, sometimes when we put God first, there's a challenge that's coming. How many of us, if we gave our life as Jesus did to God, and then God said, we're going to go over here. I said, oh, wait a minute. Isn't there something a little easier that I could be doing? So how do we merge priority and obedience? Giving of oneself to avoid sin in our lives. We need to stay pure. Psalms 19.9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? We deepen our relationship with God and fellowship by spending time in his word and spending time in prayer and conversation with God. Proverbs 15, 29 says, the Lord, the Lord is far away from the wicked, but the, hears the prayer of the righteous. When we're in his word and in his will, we are there with answers for others. Psalms 19.41 says, May your unfailing love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise, then I will answer the one who taunts me, for I trust in your word. You know, as we give of ourselves, giving is an act of worship. It demonstrates our priorities in life. When we give, we express the thankfulness to God. Everything that comes to him and without him, we understand that we are not nothing. God is worthy of our gifts. If you look closely at the word worthy, you'll see it's connected to worship. We worship him with, our time, with the time we spend in his presence and in his will. And it's not the size of the gift or the amount of time. It's the quality of that gift. Look at the widow woman who gave all she had. She didn't give as much in the amount as others, but she gave it all. Giving shows the location of your heart toward God. It's also an indicator of how much or how little you trust God. He tells us not to worry, especially about things you have no control over and things that you can participate in. You do so obedient. You pray to the Holy Spirit to guide you. Never make it about you. What did we hear earlier in the one scripture? It said that we seek first what's important to you and your family and their needs, and then you will be happy. That's not what that scripture said. Seek first the kingdom of God. 
and then all righteousness will come to you. I genuinely believe that I will never be able to give at a meaningful level that I should. As hard as I try, I certainly know that I will be able to never repay Jesus for what he did for me and the blessings that I have had in my life. John Wesley coined the phrase, give all, get all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. In today's society, I believe that we have changed that to, to read, get all you can, save all you can, and then hold on as, to all you can for yourself. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in any other priority you put in your life that's above him. Whether it's your work, your job, a title, some goal that you have set, cannot come before God. So the question is, where and what are your treasures? What gifts has God blessed you with that you hold on to? Is there a talent that you have? that you really don't share? Is it time? Is it money? Is it energy? Where are your priorities? Are they on self? Are they on a particular title you seek or amount of money that you want? And be very, very careful, even when you say that you want to follow God and you give your life to God and you're doing things for God, Satan is going to tell you what a great job you're doing. And suddenly pride seeps in. And you believe in yourself. So it, your priority cannot be self. It cannot be pride. It cannot be time. It cannot be energy. Your priority needs to be God Almighty. Paul writes in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul spent his life serving Christ, serving churches, serving others for the glory of God. He wanted to magnify Christ and to glorify the body of Christ. There are those out there who do not believe in God. They may with their mouth say they believe in God or that they know God, but they live on this earth for self. So it's natural for them to strive for the goals that the world has for them, for money, for popularity, for power, for pleasure, for prestige. I want you to think, take just a moment and certainly think about maybe yesterday. What was your first priority? What was your most important priority for yesterday? What does your value system look like today? If you've not died for Christ, given yourself for Christ, then you're not ready to really live. If you're not, live, not living each day for the sake of Christ, if you're living each day for the sake of tomorrow, you need to reevaluate where your life is. You see, because you're not promised tomorrow. Some say, I've been saved, and it's okay. I've been baptized. I go to church. I read the Bible when I have time. Uh, I give money to the church. That's important. 
And, and you know what? I don't have to repent. I can continue to live the way I live because as long as I repent with my dying breath, I'm going to go to heaven. I don't think that's what it says in the Bible, but let's just say for argument's sake that that is correct. Think about all the blessings and all the miracles and all the answered prayers because of the way you lived your life. You have missed because of the way you've lived your life. Is there something you need to change? Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For you, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Compassion meets compassion. Generosity meets generosity. And graciousness meets graciousness. It comes back when you bless others. You are blessed. If you give it all, if you live Deuteronomy 6, 5, you give it all to God, when it comes to giving, it will just come naturally. You won't give it a second thought. If you're in God's will, you're listening to him, you're walking with him, you will obediently follow him. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability to him. It's what you choose at the moment he speaks into your life. As Isaiah 6, 8 reads, do you say, here I am, Lord, send me. Romans 13, 1, or 13, 11 says, and so, and, and do this, understanding present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Everybody says that we're in the end of times, whatever that looks like. There are people in the past that have thought they were in the end of times also. And several years have passed, if not hundreds of years have passed. And some people say, Jesus, come quickly. Be very careful what you wish and pray for. Maybe we should be saying, hold on, Lord, I need to fix some things in my life. Look around you. Is there pain? Are there those that are lost? Are there those that have no hope? Is there a need? And do you ask each day, God, how can I help you? Take part of my day, God. Take a moment, an hour, and let me be your vessel. Let me be your servant. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's seal that we belong to God. And he will do what he promised. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us demonstrates the genuineness of our faith. And it proves that we are God's children. So seal each day with God's will.
Lorena. I want you to think for a moment how we started the message today. We heard about how much time we each have during the week and how important it is to get some of those things done. I want you to think about this day 21 years ago and what happened. And those that ran into harm's way were others. I want you to think about the D-Day at Normandy and those that ran into harm's way. Greater has no man than those that lay down his life for another. That's what Jesus did for each of us. Not because we deserved it or we earned it, but because God loves us. He is asking for our obedience to his will. Thank you.